Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, super glad that you're here joining with us as we continue reading through the book of Philippians uh, together as a community, as a, as a whole church family, which is so great, really, because this letter was initially written for an entire church community to encourage them to reflect the attitude of Jesus, the Jesus way right where they were. And so this is what we get to do. It's the same reason while we are, why we are reading this together through, through the summer, not just to learn uh, and better understand what Paul was writing about reflecting Jesus, uh, about to his church, but also to step into responding to that life that Jesus not only uh, calls us to, but empowers us in. Because like we often say here at Bethany, we're not here for information, we're actually here for transformation. And transformation is exactly what happens when we come to the scriptures, not only to learn, not only to grow in our understanding, but then actually to respond in our day-to-day -day life. Are you with me on that, right? Like that is, that is why we're here because when we read the scriptures together, we get to be honest about what inspires us. We get to be honest about our questions, the challenges, and even the parts that confuse us. And then we get to ask questions like, well, what does this teach us about humanity? And what does this teach us about ourselves? And even about God and what he calls us to and his way. And then we get to ask ourselves, well, what do we do in response to what we've learned? Because when we learn something, we find it to be true. We entrust it to be true. The only rational response is then to actually say, okay, well, how do I live according to that? Right? That's the only way forward. So when we read the scriptures together and find them directing and, and correcting and teaching us and pointing us towards truth, we should then respond accordingly. Because, well, because we're not in this for information. We're in this for transformation. And honestly, if you've been tracking with us through this summer um, and through this series, this shouldn't surprise you at all because this is exactly why Paul wrote this letter to his church in the first place, isn't it? He's writing this to his church in large part because he's encouraging them and reminding them to follow the example that Jesus has given them. He's writing to his church um, to remind them to live with humility and to serve, with, uh, serve others with an attitude that Jesus gives us. And then he gives a examples of everyday people, like people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, um, as an example of, of how this can look. And it's just encouraging and helpful, actually, isn't it, to be able to have everyday reminders of people that kind of, you know, are living this life with us to say like, hey, they're doing it, we can do it too. I just think that's cool that Paul included Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then Paul even talks about his own life as an example, reflecting back on how he gave up everything in his former life so that he could fully align and respond to what Jesus's example called him to, basically showing now how his life is now anchored in the sole purpose of following Jesus. That's what Paul is about now. He wants his life to reflect the attitude of Jesus, and he's encouraging his church in Philippi to do the same thing, and he's encouraging us now to do the very same thing, to not just learn about Jesus, not just to agree with Jesus, but to change our lives in response to Jesus. And so that's where we get to our next section in the letter of Philippians that we're at today. We're still in chapter three. We're going to start in verses 12 and read all the way to verse 21, which is the end of that chapter. So we're going to start in verse 12, read all the way through, and then we'll skip back and start picking through uh, this verse by verse together. So here we go, verse 12. 
I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Uh, just quickly, Paul is referencing what we read last week in verses 10 and 11, talking about knowing Christ, about knowing his power, actually identifying with his suffering and anticipating the power of his resurrection. That's what he's referencing here. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already uh, reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And so, not surprisingly, since this is one cohesive letter, you're probably noticing some themes running through our whole series here. Some of the themes continue to run through these passages that Paul is writing um, uh, because he is writing for a purpose. He has a reason for doing all these things. And we're going to see uh, in a few minutes here how Paul continues to develop these themes of attitude, themes of grace, themes of life purpose, and continuing to draw out the so what of all of this. It's like he's bringing his own challenge to his church the same way that we talk about challenges at the end of our times together. And we're going to do that today as well. So let's read again, starting in verse 12, and this time we're just going to slow down and kind of go verse by verse. Uh, verse chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And again, when Paul writes that he hasn't achieved these things, he's referring to the hope and the goal that he mentioned in those previous verses, in 10 and 11 in particular, where he lists some very impressive aspects of who he was in the past and his accomplishments, and then goes on to say that in light of Jesus, he kind of considers those to be just more trash, and that now his hope is not to earn his own righteousness, to make himself good in every, in every way. He doesn't actually believe that's possible, but to experience all that Jesus has to offer, he wants all Jesus and only Jesus. But then here in verse 12, he clarifies that a little bit more by saying, not that I've already achieved all of this. It's kind of a way of saying, hey, look, I'm not saying that I have this all together or that I have it all made, which I just love that Paul's honest about this and that he is encouraging um, in a way to have an attitude uh, without saying, well, I've got this all figured out. I mean, have you ever tried to learn from someone who believes that they've got it all figured out, that they know all the answers? It's kind of an awful experience. But Paul here, as he's encouraging people to have an, uh, an attitude of humility, of following Jesus in that example, he's practicing it right here in this way as well, saying, I want you to emulate Jesus and have an attitude of humility. But then he says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. 
which is like Paul saying, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has graciously reached out for me. And if you already know a part of Paul's story, if you know about kind of his, his background, um, you know that he probably has in mind here his first experience, his first encounter with Jesus, where Jesus, ever, after having returned to heaven, so he's not here on earth in physical form anymore, actually interrupts one of Paul's journeys where Paul was headed to a city purposing to arrest any and all Christians that he could find there. Jesus interrupts that, and you can read the whole story in uh, Acts chapter 9 and just get a sense of why Paul is using words like reaching out and taking hold of and just see how cool it is that he's using that kind of language. He definitely has that experience in mind. And then just a quick note here about the word perfect that I think will be helpful for us in understanding this. Uh, he uses that in the line where he says, I press on to, perf- to possess that perfection. Now, when you and I think about perfection, we most likely are thinking about flawlessness, right? About something being without, um, without imperfection in some way. But that's not how Paul would have understood it. The Hebraic way of understanding, which Paul would have been very, very familiar with, uh, with perfection has everything to do with purpose and with completeness. It has the idea of being made complete and something finally being able to do what it was created to do. So uh, a simple example would be that a nice kitchen table isn't perfect because of its fine craftsmanship, but it's perfect because of how it brings people together and helps foster relationship and belonging. Are we tracking with that? The difference between that perfection. And so here, Paul is saying, look, at one point, God took hold of my life for a very specific purpose. And I'm choosing to live every day of my life to take hold of that, to fulfill that purpose for which God took hold of me. And the startling truth is that you and I all share the same purpose that Paul is talking about here. He's been using himself as an example for sure, but he's doing it because he wants to encourage all of the people in his church to actually follow Jesus. It's an example of humility and grace-filled love out of, out of service, which he then also applies to all of us. And I know that someone already is thinking, look, I mean, this, this sounds encouraging, but there is no way that I have the same purpose as Paul. Jesus didn't grab hold of me for any specific purpose like he did with Paul, but I think that's actually missing the point. If we skip ahead to verse 17, uh, we'll, we'll do more with it in a second. But in verse 17, Paul writes that we should follow his example and the example of others. And he's writing this to everyday people of his day who don't have his backstory. They're, they don't have his experiences. And I think that's the point that Paul is making here. Paul isn't trying to say that we all need to have his experiences, that we all need to go through what he has gone through. The, the point here is that we all have the same I was going to say glorious purpose, but if I do, and if you have Disney Plus, that's just going to take you down a low-key rabbit trail. So I'm just going to say wonderful purpose, that we all have the same wonderful purpose of living our lives as transformed people, transformed by Jesus, who are learning and choosing to trust that our security and our importance and our value rest in Jesus alone and not in, not in anything else. Now, I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm not saying that this is a simple one-time decision. Uh, It's hard. It takes effort and it takes patience. And I think this is why Paul writes that he is pressing on to that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Because pressing on takes effort. It takes stamina, right? It's, It's not easy. It has this idea of resistance being a factor. It implies struggle and maybe even setback. 
But Paul does it because this is what Jesus has called him to. And he even repeats himself in the next verses. He's sort of doubling down here on the whole idea in verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So Paul, yeah, I think he's doubling down on the truth that he has not achieved this. He has not yet fully realized the purpose that God has called him to, but he is pressing on. But then in between those two lines, he says this, forgetting the past and looking forward. So the question is, well, what's that about? And I appreciate what theologian Homer Kent Jr. says about these two verses. He writes this, forgetting did not mean obliterating the memory of the past. Paul had just recalled some of these things in verse five to seven. He's clearly not talking about, I I just can't remember these things. Like he's just listed them. So it's not about wiping that from his memory. Forgetting did not mean obliterating the memory of the past, but a conscious refusal to let them absorb his attention and impede his progress. He never allowed his Jewish heritage, which is verses 5 to 7, nor his previous Christian attainment, so verses 9 to 12, kind of everything Paul has already experienced with Jesus, he never allowed any of that to obstruct his running the race. And here's the main point, I think. No present attainment could lure him into thinking he already possessed all Christ desired for him. Basically, Paul wouldn't allow himself to believe that anything in his past disqualified him, nor that he'd already arrived in any complete way. And I think this is incredibly important for us to hear and also to internalize because of how easy it is for us in our own day-to-day lives just to get caught up in our past so much that we lose sight of the race, that we lose sight of the life that Jesus is calling us to. Because Well, I mean, maybe you've experienced it this way where, you know, maybe we felt like there's something in our past that's kind of excludes us from being called to any good purpose in God's plan. It's easy for us to believe, isn't it? That maybe one or many things in our past, something we've believed or something we've done or maybe even left undone, that somehow that disqualifies us from having any purpose in God's kingdom. Or maybe you've also had the experience where You've actually faithfully followed Jesus for years and years of your life and in everything that he's called you to. And then there's this temptation to feel a sense of completeness, a sense of, why oh, I've already reached full maturity and I've reached the end of this race already. I hope this is making sense to us. But I think what we can be reminded of in these verses is that regardless of what's been in our past, whether we've been close to Jesus for a long time or very new to Jesus or somewhere in between, there is always more of Jesus for us to know and more of Jesus for us to experience. That as long as we have breath to run this race, then we have another opportunity to do what God has taken hold of us for, which again, just to clarify and remind us, is to reflect the attitude that Jesus had, an attitude of humility and of service and choosing to let Jesus' power work in us so that we can obey him in every part of our life, responding to what he's calling us to, both you and me and all of us together. Said another way, every one of us who wants to follow Jesus is called and taken hold of by God to become spiritually mature by reflecting Jesus in our attitudes and in our actions. And we continue then in verse 15. Therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, well, God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by the same standard by which we have attained. 
So here, Paul is sort of finishing up his previous point where he's strongly encouraging us to push forward in spiritual maturity, in knowing Jesus. And now he sort of looks to the other side of the coin and uh, reminds us that it's never too late to start. And I think this is so great because in part, in verse 15, the Greek word that Paul uses here for uh, let's have this attitude, that Greek word, it's the same word he uses earlier in chapter two when he said, let's have the attitude of Christ. And this is important because it's a way of creating a sort of glowing reminder and metric for us to say that this attitude of Jesus that we are to reflect, well, if we consider ourselves mature believers, mature followers of Jesus, then the proof of that will be in how well we actually emulate Jesus and how well our lives are actually patterned after his example. And at the same time, when he writes, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. What Paul is doing is acknowledging that not everyone is spiritually mature yet. And that's actually okay. That's to be expected because this race that we run, well, this purpose that God has called us to, it's a process and we all have to start somewhere and at some time. But whenever we started, we need to keep going rather than stopping at any point. Or again, said another way, no matter how much or how little we understand of Jesus or how much or how little we've experienced of Jesus, Paul is simply telling us to be faithful to him with what we know now. Kent again puts it this way. No one must wait for God to reveal the truth on all points before they begin to give themselves to spiritual growth. It's like sometimes we feel like, you know, well, I need to know a lot about Jesus before I can really follow him well. Um, and sometimes this comes up, uh, one example would be with, with baptism, where we think, well, I can't get baptized yet because I don't know enough of Jesus or I haven't followed Jesus long enough where the truth is actually a bit different, where we say baptism is actually one of the first and earliest ways that we can say yes in obeying Jesus, in following his example. It has nothing to do with knowing a lot or being incredibly faithful yet, but in saying, I want to follow Jesus with what I know now. And this ex uh, extends here as well. So again, Kent says, no one must wait for God to reveal the truth on all points before they begin to give themselves to spiritual growth. Each believer should exercise fully the degree of maturity they already possess. Paul recognizes that Christians, though proceeding along the same path, we're talking about a spiritual maturity, proceeding along path, may be at different stages of progress and should be faithful to as much of God's truth as they understand. And I think this is incredibly helpful uh, for us to focus on as a church because of how true it is for us as an actual community together because some of us have reached a high degree of maturity in Jesus, while others are just starting with Jesus, and there are many who are somewhere in between. And the point here is for us to be faithful with what we know and of what we've experienced of Jesus, to obey him in every area and every aspect of our day-to-day -day lives with what we understand now. And at the same time, to just keep running the race that God has taken hold of us for, to learn more from Jesus, to choose his attitude, so that we can experience more of the transformation that he brings, and then so we can continue growing in our maturity. Now, done well, this means for us as a church, for any of us who consider Bethany to be their spiritual family, this means that we're going to keep holding up Jesus' example as the one to follow. That as a church, we actually are going to keep working to emulate his attitude in all things, which is an attitude of humility, 
an attitude of grace and compassion. And absolutely, this is an attitude of love. And this means for us as a church, we're going to actually believe that following Jesus happens in real life. We're going to continue to believe this, that following Jesus happens in real life, in our attitudes and in our behaviors and in our actions. And that this isn't just something that we get to say we agree with, but then kind of ignore putting into practice and responding to in our day-to-day lives. But that this is actually something that every one of us who claim to follow Jesus is encouraged and directed and even expected to do right where we are at. And so in your conversations with those in your home churches or in your family or at school, we're called to have the attitude of Christ. When you're posting online about what's happening in our world or in a city or anything else, yeah, we're called to have the attitude of Christ. When we work through tension and disagreements with others around us, regardless of who they they are, yeah, we're called to have the attitude of Christ. And You know, even if we find ourselves in conversations about someone when they aren't there or any other situation, we're called to have the attitude of Christ. And all of this matters because it is linked to the teachings we have here in Philippians from Paul, reminding us that Jesus gave us an example to follow, not just agree with, but to follow. And this means that no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus, Each one of us are called and also empowered by God to faithfully emulate him. So if we're mature in Jesus, that's great. That's wonderful. Just make sure that your actions reflect that. And don't buy into the lie that there's never more of Jesus to experience and more transformation that God can do in our lives. Let's not buy into that lie. Or if we're newer to Jesus or just know that we have a long way to go, that's okay. That's fine. Just be sure to follow and obey Jesus with what you already know. Continuing to run this race, knowing that as we read earlier this summer in chapter one, he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion. He will perfect that. And then we've read in chapter two that it is God who works in you, giving you the desire and the ability to follow him. This is all wrapped up in God's work in us anyway. We just want to be open to that and respond to it. So that's the faithfulness piece that we have. And if maybe you think that I'm being a little too intense here, you might actually be right. Like if this was just me talking, you might be right to think I'm taking this a little too far or being a little too intense. But honestly, this is why I'm so glad that this isn't me talking. This is Paul talking. This is his teaching in which, um, you know, he actually follows all of this up with this next statement in verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. And there it is again, the push, the encouragement to emulate along with Paul and others, the example of Christ to pattern our lives off of this one example. And then verse 18, for I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. And so here Paul starts to shift gears into a warning And he does it not out of anger, right? I mean, look at it. He says it with tears in his eyes. This isn't a warning out of anger. It's a warning out of compassion and out of grief. And he's sort of contrasting what he's just been writing about here. Up until now, the focus has been on continuing to pursue the purpose that God has for us, which is to grow in spiritual maturity by following and emulating Jesus. But now, and here's where the intensity starts to really get cranked up. He says that our conduct 
can show that regardless of what we say we believe, our conduct can show that we are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. And we should notice here that the word cross, again, is a bit like a hyperlink back to chapter two, where we we read that the attitude of Jesus actually led him there, uh, an attitude of service and suffering for the sake of others out of obedience to the Father. In verse 19, Paul writes this, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Are we feeling some of the weight of this yet? I mean, this... This is heavy, right? And I'm not trying to guilt us in any way here. That's certainly not what Paul has done here. I don't think that's what this is about in any way. This is not about guilt. But it's not like we can't take this seriously, right? I mean, Paul here is using words like enemies of Christ and headed for destruction. So, like, what do you do with this? How are we supposed to respond? Well, I actually want to suggest that it's not as complicated as it might seem. Uh, We might get thrown off by Paul's intense language, which is understandable, but I think we can sometimes get distracted uh, by that language uh, from the clarity of what's being said here, what he's getting at. And I think the key is just in those three characteristics that Paul mentioned already in verse 19. He says that their God is their appetite, that they brag about shameful things, and that they think only about life here on earth. And I think the point here is that these all come from an attitude that is opposite to the one that Paul is talking about here. It's opposite to the attitude that Jesus has and that we as disciples are encouraged to also have. Another way to look at it would be to say, look, if my appetite is my God, well, guess what? I'm going to care more about what I prefer than about what's good or beneficial for others, aren't I? And that's not a Jesus attitude. If I brag about shameful things, I'm probably not going to care about God's purposes or have any humility in that, am I? And that's not a Jesus attitude. If I only think about life here on earth rather than the eternal life that Jesus brings and all that goes along with that, well, we get the idea, right? And honestly, this isn't a stretch, is it? Like, it's not a stretch for me to say that if, if I or if you or if anyone lives this sort of life with this sort of attitude, getting what I, what I prefer, fighting for our preferences, behaving as if, you know, we're the most important or most intelligent in whatever we do, prioritizing status and getting ahead. I mean, that is a life that's going to lead toward destruction. I mean, who wants to be around that person, right? I, like, I don't, and I certainly don't want to be that person. And I think this is so helpful for us because by giving us this warning of compassion, by giving us this warning, Paul is again, I think, pointing out that we are all susceptible to this opposite attitude. This isn't primarily something that we need to avoid out there. I think Paul's point is that this is something that we need to avoid in here and in here. Are we tracking with that? That is incredibly important because if we claim to follow Jesus, then we will want to be spiritually mature and want to pattern our lives after him. And whenever we see in ourselves an attitude other than his, an attitude based on our preferences or our position or our rights rather than his example, it's a warning to us that we're out of step with Jesus, that we're actually out of step with who we are, which is Paul's next and final point here. It says in verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. 
He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We are, as disciples of Jesus, citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are people who are to live according to the way and the will of God himself. That's who we are. And this is why it only makes sense that we would choose to live according to the way that Jesus has shown us, the way that Paul is encouraging us to, rather than living contrary to that by focusing on things like our preferences and our position and our rights, because these are all things that are actually opposite to the example of Jesus. These are all things that align more with an attitude and a worldview that's opposed to Jesus, that sets itself up as being an enemy of the cross of Christ. No, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Again, that's verse 20, here's 21. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And I just think it's super cool that the Bible is honest about life, don't you? I mean, I love that Paul is honest that following the Jesus way, that living like a citizen of heaven, that choosing out of obedience uh, to give up our preferences, to give up our positions, even give up our rights is hard. And I love that he finishes this part of the letter by reminding us that this is all going to be worth it. In fact, it's going to be more worth it than you can ever imagine. Because when Jesus does come back and finish the work of bringing heaven here on earth, of bringing everything to completion, of bringing everything over the starting line, everything, including our own bodies, will be fully transformed and made whole in every single way. Everything is going to be made and brought to completion. And this is why in the first verse of chapter four, which I wasn't given to talk about, but we can't really finish this thought without bleeding into that. So we're just going to go there. Um, The first part of chapter four, verse one says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, and anytime you see therefore in the scriptures, you just got to ask yourself, what is it there for? Get it? Well, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, is there because of everything we've just written. Here's here's the closing point. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Some translations will read, hold fast or hold firm to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord, which I think is Paul's way of finishing up the most powerful reminder he can think of as to why to continue to press on in spiritual maturity. Jesus is coming back. He will bring heaven here on earth. Therefore, stay true to the Lord. Keep running the race. Keep pushing forward and becoming spiritually mature, regardless of what's in your past. Keep living with the purpose God has called you to, the purpose of a life that's patterned after the example of Jesus. Keep being as faithful to Jesus as you know how to be, obeying him in every part of your life, in every part of your day-to-day life. Keep choosing the attitude of Christ, even though it's so easy and so normal to do the opposite. Keep doing all these things because we are citizens of heaven. We are reflecting Jesus' love and grace and truth to the world so that they can accept and follow him too. That's the point of all of this. And do this all because we know he is coming back again and this will all be worth it. So what's my challenge this week? Honestly, it's simply just to do what Paul challenged his church to do, to choose to emulate Christ, to pattern our lives after Jesus so we can grow in spiritual maturity. 
Now, what that will look like specifically for each of us, I can't say. Um, but here's what I think will be helpful and what I want us to, to do this week. This is my challenge specifically. Just to read through these 10 verses that we've just read through, uh, 12 to 21 of chapter 3. Read through those 10 verses each day this week and then spend some time afterwards in prayer just asking God to show you where he wants you to reflect Jesus more. And maybe God will show you an attitude you have that doesn't align with his and he just wants to correct you and direct you in that. Maybe he'll encourage you to keep being faithful in a specific way, uh, some way that you're already being faithful and running that race in a way that reflects him and he's gonna encourage you to continue on in that way. Maybe he'll show you one specific way. He wants you to give up a preference or a position or a right as an act of humility and love out of obedience to him directly. But maybe it'll be something altogether different. But that's my challenge for each of us, to read these 10 verses each day and to ask God to show us how we can run this race faithfully, how we can do that this week and continue to pattern our lives after the example that Jesus has given us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that we have this encouragement and this call that you've taken hold of us to follow you and that this is true for any of us, whether we've known you for most of our life or whether we're just starting to get to know you. Thank you that you give us a desire and the strength to be able to do this. Keep working in us, God. You see our attitudes, you see our behaviors, you see our character. Keep working in us because we want, we want to reflect you. Help us to do that in our day-to-day -day life. You know the complexities that we have in life, you know the tensions and the struggles, they're nothing new. Help us to be faithful to you and to just reflect your love and your kindness and your humility and your truth to the people and world around us because we want them to know you and we want to emulate you. We want to pattern our life after you. Show us how to do that this week and beyond. Keep working in us, transforming us, Jesus, so that we can reflect you the way that you have called us to. Amen.